This is the official podcast of Elamir, where we have conversations with B2B storytellers about how they go about doing what they do. What are you uh, What are you up to today? Like, are there projects you're working on right now that are exciting for you? Yeah, in um, a bit of irony, we're working on a podcast for Visa, and oh, cool. um, we found out that it was number one and the number one business podcast in countries like Botswana and Costa Rica, and number four in India, and wow. fourteen in the U.S. And it's just so I'm learning a lot about making a podcast. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. How do you? Uh, that's really cool. That's pretty impressive. What were those countries? Um, it was Costa Rica, Botswana, the United Arab Emirates, Cameroon, Singapore. I mean, it's all this it's amazing, geographically diverse. Yeah, yeah. Place that, and I put arrow, you know, I put dots on a map, and I was like, I know generally where Botswana is, but I'm really, <laughs> I need to learn this better. So they know, they know where you guys are. Exactly. Does, um, does uh, was that something you set out to do? Like, hey, let's crush it in these countries. Um, not those countries, but it's interesting because Visa moves. Seven billion dollars helps move seven billion dollars in two hundred countries around the world, almost. Wow! And so it was a B two B podcast, and we're like, how do we how do we make something interesting for these countries that barely get any marketing from Visa? Totally, that's so really was, cool. Yeah, and the you know the more saturated markets, it didn't peak at number one, but we'll take fourteen or you know <laughs> four in India. It's all good. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's been fun. All right, so taking taking a step back, let's uh, let's jump into you know, for folks who don't don't know anything about you and, and about episode four, can you just just give me a high level of what you guys do? Sure. So uh, Mark Hemelsbach, I'm one of the co-founders of episode four. We've been around for five years. We're a small boutique ad agency um, and we, we make hits for brands. That's how we talk about ourselves. Yeah. Um, I think we're really, really good at coming up with creative solutions to really complex business problems for our clients. Yeah. And so that's why people come to us. People do not, people like Taco Bell or Wendy's do not come to us for what's happening right now in the zeitgeist. What's, what's hot on the social medias on the internets right now. But, um, we, we think about really complex stuff and help do it really interestingly and creatively. That's cool. What, um, and, and one of the things I love about having talked with you about your business is you have this very, um, specific vision of kind of a creative process, or at least you have a very clear way of your team your team working and approaching the creative process. Can you, can you unpack that a little bit? Like wh- wh- how do you guys go about approaching these hits? Sure. Um, well, we start with the audience, with the consumer. And that's always what I think every ad agency should do and most do. But we think in order to make a hit, um, that involves taking something people are familiar with and twisting them. So we call them genres. Um, and we have surveyed multiple times. We've surveyed over 30,000 Americans and asking them what they would do with their free time or free money. Yep. And we give them a list of almost 200 actions and genres. And I joke it's uh, from acapella to zoology. So it's anything you can listen to, watch, read, attend, eat, smoke. We have marijuana in there. Nice. Um, and we just prompt people, what would you do with your free time or money? And we have them rate it. Um, and then since we collect all this demographic information, we can tell you for any audience what they would do with their free time and money and what they would do and what they wouldn't do. And it's, nice. I would say it's about half our clients are like, oh, that makes sense. And other times we're like, holy shit, what? And we have to back <laughs> up and say, yeah, they actually like burlesque. Yeah. Or they like marijuana or they smoke a lot of marijuana, it turns <laughs> right, out. Or, right. or, you know, they like they like scripted comedy, not improv comedy. And it just it it blows people away more often than not. 
when we talk to our clients because they're yeah, like, yeah. I've never heard our audience described that way. We have <laughs> data really to back it up. So it's not just pulling out of thin air. Yeah, I, I love that. Uh, when I learned that about about your company, I, I just thought it was so it was so interesting because for me, it's amusing because like as a documentary filmmaker my whole life, like I like I've just dealt very closely with the fact that people are really strange and they like totally bizarre, very surprising stuff. And the way that people react to content is never what you think. It's it's so surprising. So it's cool to me that you have this data that's like, turns out people have really strange preferences. And and they're willing, what's interesting is they're willing to admit it to a survey because it's anonymous. And what at ages, when I worked at agencies, the bigger ones like BBDO or Ogilvy, they would interview 12 people. So you get 12 people's quirks. And if you got a weird group, you would get weird quirks. If you got a boring <laughs> group, you get no quirks. Right. So this has enough significance and enough quirkiness that it's actually quirkiness at math. Yeah, yeah. Does it? Does, um, what are some of the like out, like what are there like pieces that you think are particularly like amusing or surprising or whatever? Some of my favorite anecdotes, and we may have, we may have covered this one, but we did some work for a financial services company for ultra high net worth people. Yeah. So the people with $10 million or more to invest. Yep. And we found out half love golf, half hate golf, absolutely hate golf. Yeah. And this brand was a big golf sponsor. They love art, but they hate art museums. They'd rather go see art, you know, art Basel, go see things that you can buy and they can touch ah, and feel. They hate just going and watching and not being able to do anything with it. Interesting. And then um, their favorite musical genre. I think we may have played this game. But I'll make you guess again in case you forgot. Oh, uh, no, I think I remember. It's like house music, electronic music. Yeah, it's EDM. Yeah. EDM, yeah, yeah. And they're particularly passionate about trap, like Outkast, oh. you know, and Southern hip hop. And when we told our client that they were, they were, mesmerized blown away their sponsorship teams freaked out because they're big sponsors of golf and art museums so right. sorry about that <laughs> but the edm point was just fascinating to them but then they they took a step back and thankfully they didn't fire us they're like well our people are our, our clients are really young and yeah. they're much hipper than we imagine yeah and so it just so that was great and then that's what cool. we just uncovered recently and i'll give you another quiz um all right so if you think about beer spirits wine and marijuana yep rank those in order for women moms in their 40s okay so it was beer spirits um, um wine wine and marijuana and marijuana for moms in their 40s yeah okay all right i would say i would probably go wine spirits marijuana beer um it's interesting they're all in all honesty tied at number four of the oh, things they most like to do in their lives. <laughs> so wow. moms in their forties and I am happily married to one moms in their forties just have a lot going on and it just, they just like it all. Yeah. And so, um, it's That's just cool. amazing. Cause we were like, everyone's no one guesses marijuana is number one, but it turns out people are willing to talk about that. And, uh, they yeah. just need it. They just need a break. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's being decriminalized. Thank God. So it's exactly. like, thank you know, I agree. People, totally. people can now talk about it without like losing their job. And stuff exactly. Like that. <laughs> And like, but we have, you know, unboxing videos, which are pretty boring and stayed, but then we have things like burlesque yeah. and like I mentioned, and so it's not like we go and make a burlesque show for clients, right. but it gets people's minds to think more broadly, kind of divergent thinking. It gets clients yeah. to realize their audience isn't exactly who they thought they were. And that no. it's okay to be a bit quirky. People never are. They never are. It's, yeah. it's like, 
anytime you have somebody saying, I know exactly what people are, they're just, there's, it's wrong. Cause people are just so complicated. And it's like, I, it's one of the reasons I even started this company is like, I looked at so much content that was out there and I'm like, all right, somebody's missing something totally. because this is not what people connect to. And, but I, I get why businesses behave that way. Like I understand, you know, for you guys, I'm sure you run into this. It's like, you have a business with very clear metrics. They have a very clear mission. Yeah. And, you know, if you start making content from that place, you can go down a road that leads you into content that does not, that does not deliver at all on those things. Totally right. And I mean, there's that old adage, IBM used to be a client. There's the old adage, no one got fired for hiring IBM. Mm. And so a lot of clients are just, they need, I always say that agencies aren't the brave ones. Because we can propose brave ideas that clients need to make right now, but we're not the ones writing the check or responsible for it ultimately. Yeah. So it's this data really helps clients be braver, be quirkier, be different, be not just give the standard talking head B two B video or the yeah, yeah. you know straight down the middle commercial or whatever it happens to be. That's interesting. So I guess talk more about that that conflict. You guys run into that. I mean, you must run into it all the time. Where you oh, have yeah. you have these creative ideas, and you're like, hey. You feel really strongly like, hey, we should take this risk, but the client, maybe they're not willing to. Like, how do you, how do you like deal with that tension? Well, it's, um, it's, a, it's a hard tension to start with because the creative industry, as you know, the people who come up with the ideas are so passionate about them and no one's right or wrong. So they put their heart and soul into presenting a really wacky idea. Yeah. And then there's that moment of silence, which seems like hours, where the client decides whether it's worthy or not. Right. And so that is just hard. I mean, managing that internally is just um, something to something to really think about. And yeah. then, but with clients, there's a couple, we, we tell clients this, we'll present the, we'll test your tolerance. We will present the wackiest that we hope that we never have a meeting where the client's like, that last idea was way too far. Right. And if we don't get that way too far, then we've not done our job. Um, but when clients really get conservative and really kind of get entrenched, we try to convince them to promote it in a, fun in a quirky way or yeah, distribute it in a fun and quirky way. But we just, our clients have enough trust in us now that we usually get them to try something that they're not comfortable with. Yeah. That's interesting. Have you noticed, have you noticed clients behaviors towards risk changing over time with the content? Um, the more tenure they have at a company, the less risk they take. Um, which is a really interesting. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I think so. so. I mean, that's yeah. not a by and far. I, I can think of plenty of cl our clients who have been there a long, long time who take a lot of risk. But yeah, over yeah, time, yeah. our clients excluded, let's say. Yeah, yeah, the longer yeah. they've been there, they become more institutionalized in that client yeah. environment and they, they suffer from taking less risk. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a challenge with any kind of, I'd say create, I guess creative processes, like any anytime you it becomes familiar, you, you do run the risk of just not having new ideas, not being willing to push for new ideas, not exactly. seeing it fresh. Um, I, I've, I can feel that even in like my own work, you know, if I do, if I do the same things day in and day out, then it's like, you don't have those, the, the ability to see it new, you know, you have to always totally. kind of break, break normal. And it's, um, if you're the short term quarterly thinking, um, leads people to say, if, if we're getting some results, it's better than no results. So let's just keep doing what we're doing. And so, yeah, I'm sure you see that too. It's like, can we try to break the mold or pitch a new idea? And it's like, Oh, I don't know. We just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, maybe not. yeah, it's, it is interesting. I think the, um, 
Yeah. And then the, the danger of that, of course, is it's hard to adapt with the times. Like I know a lot of, a lot of companies now, like I've heard a lot of conversations with clients and then just like at conferences where you can feel um, big companies have been putting money into things that they've always done. And then it's like, Hey, this is suddenly not working. Why is that? And exactly. suddenly they're looking toward to like small companies doing really risky things, or they're looking to unusual yeah. places for them to find ideas for like, how do we freshen this up? Well, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing thing when you see a brand lose their audience and it right. happens pretty quickly. That's and interesting. Yeah. Can you tell me more about that? What do you mean exactly? Like it happens quickly. So I think sometimes the general, we've seen it with generational shifts in leadership. Yeah. Um, they just, you know, there are generational shifts in purchase um, and people who buy the stuff. They just, yeah. all of a sudden it's no longer your father's Oldsmobile. Or all of a sudden, you know, different generations come in and have a lot more buying power and just don't want to listen to radio, don't watch television, don't read right. magazines. Yeah. And all of that, like, there are a lot of people who are caught flat footed and still are. Yeah, um, yeah. And the That's fact that those vestiges are still being held on to um, as the main creative outlets is going to be scary for a lot of brands in the next two, three years. Yeah, totally. And I, I feel like technology is a big driver of that as well. It's not just like it's. It's also like, how, how, where are you reaching people? I know that's been a big question that a lot of our clients ask, which is like, but like, where are they? Like, yeah. like, like, where do we reach these people? And, and like, what, what is TikTok? Like, what exactly. is, you know, like, what is this stuff? You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's like, it's new for everyone. So everybody's kind of learning all at once. Totally. And hey, TV, we, we, for our golf work with Charles Schwab, we put work on the golf channel and play it during golf tournaments. And that is the exact right audience and the exact yeah. right message. And we think we deliver and our clients deliver a really interesting creative message, but we don't, we can't just stop it. Yeah. So it's yeah, like yeah. TV still has power, but it, you have to keep people engaged in the story and keep people um, seeing you on other channels too. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Are there, is there any content that you have made recently or you, you guys are making, or I guess it would be things you've finished that you're really surprised did or didn't work that you're like really like, you know, a piece of a project or something that you're like, Hey, this is, here's an example of something that like, we really took a risk here and it either failed in a big way or it succeeded in a big way. Totally. And I think, um, it goes back a bit, but this, so again, with our work with Charles Schwab, um, they are a huge sponsor of the PGA tour. And yeah. so they took on a title sponsorship of the colonial golf tournament in Fort Worth, um, which was a little bit of a distressed asset. It was kind of a, the puppy who lost his way on the tour. Right. And we said, you should give away a restored muscle car for uh, the winner and talk about a brave client. They were like, yep, let's do it. <laughs> That's sick. And we thought it would go well, but the first year we gave it away, the um, Kevin Na, which is a golfer, gave it to his caddy. He committed it. If he won the wow. tournament, he'd give it to his caddy. Yeah. And it and these have been backed up, but it, it got 9 billion media impressions. It was in like, yeah. it was in like 4,000 news articles. It was crazy. Yeah. And each year we're like, okay, we're going to roll out another car or truck. And each year we're so pleasantly surprised that people just, cause it's a different thing. And they're like, yeah. no, I love the Trans Am is so much better than that truck you made. And people have rabid yeah. debates over a truck or car giving away to golf tournament for Schwab. And if like, if you told me that five years ago, I'd be like, well, that's just kind of crazy. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Or like even this visa podcast, it's for the B2B side of visa. And yep. of course we use media to target it, but it tells the human stories behind moving money around the world. So yeah. remittance payments, paying gig workers, et cetera. 
And we didn't, we targeted it with media, but we didn't target in all those countries I mentioned. And for right. it to go number one, I mean, it's good. It's a great podcast. Don't get me wrong. And yeah, I yeah. enjoy listening yeah. to it. Right. But I was like, number one? What? <laughs> right. And yeah. even our clients were like, wow, that's awesome. And so yeah. it's just shocking that we knew people would like it. We just had no idea people wouldn't like it. Yeah. And then there are some ideas that, you know, and I maybe, maybe at other agencies. How about that? Um, <laughs> yeah, right, right. Uh, other, other agencies of uh, failure stories at, at the other, the other content agencies. And sometimes you just, um, agencies and brands get in their own head or up their own ass sometimes. And yeah. you put out something that just goes over like a fart in the wind. I mean, it just, yeah, totally. it doesn't, you just misread, you, you put yourself in the audience's shoes and that's always the biggest mistake. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the, that's the tricky thing about doing, doing any kind of work like this is it so that that's going to happen. I mean, it, it's just, of course. It's, it's unavoidable. You yeah. know, it's, you take risks, you're going to lose some. And I um, mean, you see it, I'm sure you see it in you're you're a creative at heart and you have yeah. passion about ideas. And sometimes when they don't go, I mean, I imagine that's disheartening to discourage. Yeah. You. I mean, like you said, I never have that problem, but it does. I, I understand <laughs> I've it, heard. it, it I've does heard. happen at some time. Yeah. yeah. No, like, for sure. Like for Tarantino sure, I, suffers from it, you know, yeah, yeah, for sure. I like to think of my life as just like like taking a whole bunch of stuff and throwing it at a wall, and then whatever sticks is like what I end up doing. You know, yeah, I love it. Yeah, you just try stuff. I mean, that's like what that's what that's how I approach my my. I mean, Same. creative work is you just have to try stuff. You have to be willing and, to try stuff. And the best, I think, the best creative people we work with, and the ones on our team, all have the same quality: is that they just keep trying. They're yeah, not; yeah. they don't just settle on their last best idea. It just keep going, keep going. No, yeah, yeah, and the, you have to. That has to drive you. Otherwise, the other thing I, I heard somebody say this, you also have to be really afraid of boring people. I think that's a really funny. A that's really, really funny, good. I love a funny way to think of it. Like people, you know, people in finance might be afraid of like losing money or something, but totally. creatives have to be afraid of boring people. You know, that's, and that's like, such a good, it's such yeah. and it's when I first got into advertising, cause I kind of switched mid career. Um, it was just amazing to walk around and talk because people were so different. I came from consulting. Right. And people did not fit a mold. And I'm like, right. I'm like, wow, you like, that's an amazing, how'd you put that outfit together? Let alone how'd you come up with that idea? And I'm like, right. this is, this is so mind expanding and it's just <laughs> so great. I love it so much. That's funny. That's funny. So how did you end up? So like a little bit about your background, like how did you end up in the place you're in with, with storytelling and running this agency? I mean, like what, what, how'd this all start for you and how'd you end up here? Yeah. So I um, got, as I said, I got into advertising kind of middle of my career after business school. I, before business school, I was a consultant to the U.S. Secret Service as well as other government agencies. That's another story for another time. Um, but I got into advertising um, and I ended up at a digital agency. And because of when I graduated, I was the only person with a Facebook account. And so people were just had no idea. They had heard of Facebook, but they had no idea what it was. Right. And I liked, I liked social media and I liked all that stuff. But all of a sudden they're like, oh, you know, Facebook. And right. it was only because that was the way I kept in touch with friends. And so I became the emerging media guy. <laughs> and emerging media was Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and the iPhone, yeah. and all that, that era of social media that I missed yep. so much, the Tumblr era. Um, yeah, Tumblr. That, that like, had a moment. Oh, it was so good. And it was just like such a good community. And then it just went off the rails. But the... Yeah. Um, so people said, help us tell stories on these new and crazy and weird platforms we don't understand. Yep. So I was initially drawn to a bunch of people who um, were interested in those channels and more creative than I was. So I was like, this is how the channel works. What ideas would you come up with? And we just set off. And for the first 
five years of our careers were making cool stuff on those platforms. Yeah. And yeah. telling stories in different ways. Like a colleague of mine um, did help Lowe's do Fix and Six, which were those, that Vine. I don't know if you remember, there was six second solutions to home improvement problems. Oh, okay. And it went insane. And it was yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. how do we do stop motion? It's a stop motion videos in six seconds, but that's what yeah, Vine yeah. was great at. And so it just blew up again. Who would have thought? Right. Um, but it just blew up and he, he, it was a great idea on his part. That's cool. That's cool. And what, why do you think, why do you think this kind of work is like interesting to you? Like, why do you keep doing it? Why not just go do something else? Yeah. And it's, um, it, there's, there's, one is I love the people who I get to work with, especially now. Now that we've evolved past the emerging media stuff and we're into bigger, I think, broader storytelling channels. Yeah. But the, I get in, honestly, I get inspired every day by the people who I work with. And they just think about things in such different creative ways. Yeah. The, the other one is I selfishly love to see our work in the world. Yeah. So, having been a consultant, I'm sure you do too. Having been a consultant, you can propose deck after deck after deck. Yeah. But all of a sudden you get to see your stuff in the world. Yeah, yeah, totally. I remember the one of the, the first time I had a film that was on PBS and I met somebody and then they were like, Oh cool, you made you make movies, you know, like do you like anything I've seen? And they'd seen this this movie and I was wow. like I, I remember that feeling and and it was very profound on me. I still remember that and I remember the first time I got paid to make like my art, you know. I was That's like awesome. I still have that check. But no, I feel you on, I feel you on like, like seeing your work out in the world. It is, well, it's, yeah, it's moving. And I don't know if you've had this moment, but there was a, for Qualcomm, which makes chipsets in your phones. Yeah. Um, my current business partner and I, Teddy, um, while we were at another agency, created a 30 minute psychological thriller okay. about a um, guy, wo a Chinese man woke up and his American girlfriend was gone okay. and all that he had was her phone. And he had to understand who, what, where, when she was yeah, yeah. just using her phone. And it was a massive product demonstration disguise. It, it really helped move the business. But there were moments where I, we were in Shanghai shooting with Olivia Munn. And I, I don't know if you've had this. You take a step back. I'm like, where am I? Like, what is my life? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I'm in Shanghai shooting a, a yeah. psychological thriller with Olivia Munn for a yeah. chipset company. I, I don't have – I haven't had that exact uh, psychological thriller psychological thriller with Olivia Mund moment, yeah. but I, I have, yeah, no, I can relate totally that the, I forget who it was. that was like doing creative projects is like, it's like hopping in the backseat of a, of a car with a driver who's drunk and you don't know where you're going. It's just like, totally. you just like, you hope you get there. Like, oh boy. What are we doing here, folks? It's, yeah. it's like, you, you just kind of like lost and, and at the mercy of it. Exactly. Right. And I think it's, um, but that's the joy of it. That's what keeps you coming back to. Yeah. I, I feel that completely. I think also for me to that point, like I've, I, I make, you know, I make independent documentaries on along with, with this company and the, um, I, the things that I look back on and I'm like really proud of and are those things that you just never saw coming. And then you find yeah. yourself in a place and you learn something very meaningful about yourself, about the world, whatever. And you yeah. have this kind of like really powerful experience that you really don't get unless you take, risks and you take take on projects and you and you try stuff like we said and it it totally. is it's addicting in a way i mean it's totally oh it fully really is and like talk about lifelong friends like when you make something with someone oh, yeah um even if you haven't seen them in a decade you're like remember that remember that craziness in shanghai <laughs> yeah yeah like, 
Yeah, and it's not always fun when it happens. It's it's a oh, it's, it's terrible when it happens. Yeah, it's the, it's, it's like, that like curse, you know. It's exactly. The, it's like um, whenever I'm in the airport, I give people the benefit of the doubt because everyone's always stressed. Yeah, it's yeah. Like whenever you're on a shoot, just give people the benefit of the doubt because you're they're yeah. always stressed. So <laughs> right. So so I'm curious. Like I want to bring this back a little bit to to thinking about you know this is a B two B storytelling you know kind of podcast. So, you know yeah. I like you know basically just you know, trying to have conversations, you know, that other B2B storytellers can really take something from. So I'm curious with, with all this like joy and risk around the creative process, at the end of the day, we're still driving, driving business metrics and driving growth. And I'm just like, I I don't really know what the question is, but I guess, can we talk a bit more like, okay, so you're a, a B2B marketer and you love content, you know, you love storytelling and you want to take risks. How do you go about convincing people of this like how do you go about showing to non-creatives to people who don't live this way that this is valuable it has meaning it it, this is gonna work you know how do you get people to buy into this way of thinking totally i think it's um it's never always gonna work is the first thing that we always tell people but the i kind of our starting point are b2b's or c's too which i know is cliche yeah, but like yeah. people in B2B decision-making roles are, don't take off their B2B hat when they go to dinner with their family yeah. and then put their work hat back on when they, um, right. you know, finish dinner. It's they experience the world like we do and they just don't, they, but they also make thousands of decisions a day. Yeah. And so if you want people to make these big, big or small um, financial decisions, you have to stand out. Yeah. And so, because if you think about how many decisions you make a day at work, um, yeah. If you're trying to get most often these high high priced or high value contracts through, you have to you have to break through the clutter. And everyone people have been saying break through the clutter for for decades, centuries. I mean, since yeah. advertising has been advertising. But I think finally we have the data and the tools to be able to understand an audience, or at least understand these quirks that we were talking about. And if you yeah. make sure that the quirks, if you try to mainstream their quirks, that's probably. A weird way of saying it, but if you try to think about what their quirks are and add some really good business sense to it, and the data backs you up, then that calculated risk becomes a lot less risky. Right. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. I always, I also feel like I th- what you said is a is a really good one to start. Where it's like it's not always going to work. I think I think inside of that there's this this idea of um, like letting letting go of control to a bit. Um, when you're entering into creating content and I guess it's cause it's, you kind of just have to have a leap of faith. You have to go, you know, this is going to work and it's going to work out. Even though I can't see it completely, I'm going to trust people around me that this is going to, this right. is going to happen because you can't control every step of, of this kind of a process. Totally. And totally right. And I think there's a misperception in a lot of old school marketers brains especially or old school organizations brains rather that marketing is a dark art or marketing is just a loss Um, but i think you can start by proving that marketing works yeah and it actually can be effective if you do it correctly the other one that we always that some where we suffer the most is when um, organizations everyone in the organization believes they are the chief marketing officer yeah yeah. And so we joke, like, would you let your agency make financial decisions instead of your CFO? It's right. like, you should let your chief marketing officer make marketing decisions. Ultimately, mm-hmm. get inputs and opinions. That's totally fine. But just because you experience marketing every day in your life doesn't mean you're an expert at it. Yeah. So by hiring experts like you or us, um, there is a bit of trust that comes with it that you need to go with. Yeah. 
I, I agree. I mean, it's it is the kind of thing that like when you <laughs> I, I think about that again from a filmmaking perspective. You know, it's or here I'll say it. There's a great quote I saw that's like, it's really hard work to write easy reading. <laughs> exactly. And it's just like, I think it's the nature of what, of creating good, whatever content, good thing that people enjoy, that they're not even aware of how they got made exactly. is that it, it takes an insane amount of work that has absolutely nothing to do with what it feels like to the viewer. So the disconnect between how people experience this stuff and how it gets made is so much bigger than you know, yeah. a, a financial analyst putting together a spreadsheet, you know, that what you see is what you get. Like we can kind of understand exactly. the thought process behind, yeah. you know, in fact, transparency is like a, important in those kinds of processes, but 100%. there's just no transparency by nature of what it is between the end product and what it takes to go through it. So you get a lot of people who are good at consuming, but they don't realize that they're really yeah. bad at producing because how would you know if you haven't been through it and you haven't right. you know, spent your life doing it? And one of my, I mean, one of my favorite moments, but relatedly, one of my favorite moments with clients who go on their first shoot and just see that it takes 20, 40, 60 people to do video, <laughs> sometimes do video correctly. Sometimes in your model, it doesn't. Yeah, but like, say, there, there's ways to do it where it's a little there's yeah. a plug for you. But even just yeah, seeing yeah. like how you do it, like even just right. seeing that it takes more than just me holding up a phone and going, okay, go talk. Totally. Like there's scripting, there's totally. color, there's editing, there's music, there's totally. all the stuff that highest end uh, movies provide that people are just blown away by. Yeah. And I think one, one piece, particularly with kind of our documentary style, but it's true probably in any creative process, but I know as a documentary filmmaker, I can speak to this. It's even when people are on set and ride along, it's still when things go smoothly, yeah, it's because a lot of people are doing exactly the right thing and they're reacting to each other. And there's a lot of unspoken communication there. Totally. You know, even when you conduct an interview, if it goes really well, you might be sitting next to the person and not even know why it went so well if you're not, it's if you don't magic. have that experience. So it's. Yeah, it's just such an unusual thing to do. I don't know how to, you know. It's and just, I love, and my business partner Teddy and I have like we will we've been working together ten years now, and just the unspoken language and even head nods, we just understand what that all means. And it's exactly. I know that happens in any industry and in many relationships, but yeah. in a creative output, that's really hard to interpret. So. It is because it's so fragile. Like shoots can go wrong so easily, so it's so fragile. If, and they always go wrong. I mean, there's <laughs> yeah, always yeah. something, but yeah, if it's like, what's that analogy of the duck swimming, but its legs are paddling rapidly underwater. I mean, right, right. the ability to improv on any creative endeavor is necessary. Yeah, no, for sure. So what, for you guys, like what, what are some of the trends or what, what are like, what are you noticing right now in, in content and storytelling? Maybe it's chat GPT, maybe it's AI. Like what, what are you noticing that's like really different today than, than maybe the past few years? Yeah, and it's um, so I I follow Ad Twitter, which is if not for the faint of heart, it's really cynical, but it's really good. Um, but Chat GPT and Mid Journey and all that is all over that, and I yeah. think it's we're actually using Chat GPT for it helped us write write one of our creative briefs. Oh, interesting! And it actually helped provide ideas for our creative team. So we okay. briefed Chat GPT the same time we briefed our creative teams, and it was amazing. It was like having. And I mean this with all due respect to high school kids, but it was like having a really, really smart and creative copywriter and art director 
creative team giving us ideas. Yeah. So this is for a auto company. Um, and it gave us drive through ideas, drive in ideas, um, yeah. you know, any sort of driving movie ideas. It gave us the most great places to start from, yeah. but not sufficient. Yeah. And it's been a fascinating debate, whether it's, I think it's incredibly worthwhile. It's yeah. incredibly valuable. Yeah. But it has to be a starting point, not an ending point. Yeah. Agreed. And, and I, I agree. I, I've used it for different processes as well and kind of come to the similar realization. It's, it's, it's good, like to get you over writer's block kind of thing. It, totally. it gets you, it gets you moving. Um, but I, there's so many shortcomings. The thing also for me, like the, the shortcomings to it are not, uh, immediately obvious to people. So I'm, I'm always like letting, like reminding people, like it's, it's good to like, I'll, for one, check the sources. <laughs> like yeah, you should, exactly. Like it's really good. It's really compelling at being wrong. Like it, yeah. it can be wrong and seem it's right. So good. Very, very effective. Yeah. You know. So I think like checking sources and, but again, to your point, like as a starting point, it, it you know, it's great. I also think it's good to be transparent when you use it. Like I, I totally. don't, you know, and be like, hey, we, we're using it for this. this. Is how we're using it, um, so that you don't get in a situation where you're claiming one thing and it's doing, you know, whole totally bunch of right. something strange, you know? And like in our world, like it would be fascinating if someone comes up with the location scouting AI. Yeah. Like I need a, I need a, you know, whatever it is, anything from a, I need a 200 person epic looking conference room to, I need a great shot in the redwoods or to like yeah. there, or I always, I would love it if I'm like my daughter and I took a quick trip to Philadelphia yeah. And I would love it to be like, I need directions to Philadelphia, but I want to stop at a children's museum and a great cheesesteak place. Yeah, exactly. And so like that stuff would just be awesome. And then you can, yeah. then you could be like, Oh, I'd rather have Pat's not Geno's. Yeah. But, just kind of like, yeah, yeah. But exactly. it gives you the starting point, like just whiz, starting whiz, point. Wit. Whiz wit. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I still don't know, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm, yeah, I, I failed at that big time, but that's okay. Yeah, I did. Um, I did. Uh, I, there was a writing professor of mine who, um, we were talking about it and he, he was, he had a uh, debate with it about um, the different styles of, of authors. And it was really interesting because at one point um, he asked it, uh, I forget the, the authors in the, the context, but he asked it uh, about a particular writer's style and um, he disagreed. The professor disagreed with ChatGPT on it. And then ChatGPT uh, reprimanded him for being wrong about this. Wow. Who, who, to be clear, that this professor is like one of the leading, you know, the leading. Of, yeah, like he's read everything, you know. So it was interesting, it, but it was a, a an interesting conversation about, um, you know, what what's art, you know, like when does yeah. art stop? When does art stop? And when does the totally. AI pick up? It, it was pretty hilarious, honestly. Um, that's that's amazing, and that's amazing. the other one that I'm hearing. I would love your thought. Is people are thinking there is people are calling it the death of creativity. Yeah. So with the amount of volume of content out there and the speed with which it needs to get out, people are saying like the Super Bowl, people didn't find very as impressive as years previous. There's just, you know, experiential ideas aren't as exciting. Budgets are being reined in. Maybe it's the economy. But are you finding creativity on the decline? I, I mean, I don't think so. I, I, I'm very wary of any uh, argument that puts today in the the like in like a really important time in the history of the world you know i think probably I totally like, agree today is the same as it's always been you know like i think people yeah. claimed when the typewriter came that it was the death of of writing you know exactly so i think it, no i don't really believe that kind of stuff i i do think there's a ton of content out there and i do think 
even the word content is a very weird yeah. relationship with like creating things, you know? Totally agree. So I do think there's a point at which like people get desensitized to the difference between types of, of media types of ways of engaging with, with, you know, good pieces of art. So I think there's something there, but it'll shift. I mean, it, people will, if That's they get over, do. you know, and like what I've done now is I'm just like trying to be on, I'm trying to consume less, you know, and I'm, that's a deliberate effort, you know? Yeah. Um, and it helps my creative process. So no, I, I think it's just another tool. I know? agree. I'm trying, I'm actually, my new year's resolution was to um, watch more Netflix. Oh, and, interesting. But watch less Instagram stories. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Instagram stories will get you. Easy. Or like TikTok. I love TikTok, but like right. two hours later, I'm like, I'd rather watch, I don't know, White Lotus. Yeah. So. Yeah. I feel that. I feel that. I, I try to read, uh, old literature. <laughs> so, wow, that's good. I love so that. my, uh, it's, yeah, it's good, but it also means that sometimes I'm not with the zeitgeist because my head has been in like, you know, <laughs> you're like, like have with, you heard about this scarlet letter that everyone's talking yeah, yeah. about? It's like, it's like, you know, a writer from the 1940s writing about 60 years prior. There's not a lot of like, you know, relatable, uh, <laughs> totally, you know, relatable, uh, content. I love there, it. So. Yeah. Well, good stuff. Is there anything else you'd add about you know, just marketing content, B2B marketing, uh, you know, for, for, let's say for a content marketer who's, who's setting out to, to establish themselves in the B2B space as a storyteller. You know? Um, we take a lot of pride in being great B2B storytellers. Yeah. And I think B2B and B2B storytelling or content often is seen as the ugly stepchild, excuse that expression. If, yeah. Yeah. But it's, um, I think having pride in it is the great first start of being really good at it because there are people who are people who are great at b2c storytelling are not good at b2b yeah so it, it is not an easily translatable skill and it takes a lot of intelligence about the audience but intelligence about the business to be great at it so i think be practice and just i encourage our team and all, everyone to just be prideful just yeah totally be really proud of what you do because it can be really great and you can make yeah. it really great yeah i agree i remember i was talking to I won't say who the agency or who the person was, but a person at an agency and she was in charge of B2B content. And I remember there was almost like an apology about like, Hey, I'm trying to work back towards B2C, but right now, yeah. but it's, I know I, I love B2B. It's, I mean, I, we could be doing other, we could be doing exactly, other, you know, it's, but it's, it is challenging. Cause you have to like, you have to understand the business a lot better. You have to understand business goals a lot better and then right. sort of hold on to that, but then deliver content within that. Often on a tighter budget too. So yeah, you have to be even sure. more creative with, and, and but constraints can be good. So it's just yeah. like, just embrace it is the, yeah, yeah. I know that sounds yeah. cliche, but just take pride in it. No, I love that. I love that. And a great, a great thought to end on. Oh, well, thank you. Um, yeah, yeah. So I appreciate the, uh, the time. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah. It was great to chat with you.